I'm not sure if any of you guys have ever had uh, this experience, but ever, have you ever had a moment in your life where kind of like this, what am I doing with my life type of moment? Where like all these fears and doubts that you kind of try to keep back in the back of your mind, all of, the, all of a sudden creep up to the forefront and they kind of just overwhelm you all of a sudden. Maybe some of you haven't experienced that and maybe that's going to come in the future, hopefully not. But a real moment that I experienced in my life that was like that was when I was about 24. I just stepped into ministry. I was two years in. Uh, I kind of, I felt like I found my calling, my purpose. I felt like I was naturally wired to do what God was calling me to do. Some of you know my story. I was just kind of going through this really hard season at that point in time. Uh, I got called into ministry with no experience, and I was given this uh, youth group about uh, about 12 kids, and I grew it to one. And it was just a season where I wasn't really seeing any progress, any fruit, anything around me. And was, I, was re- I was having a really bad week, and I found myself on a Saturday night. We did uh, church in a gym, uh, so we had to set up on a Saturday night for Sunday morning. And we were setting up, and I went into the hallway of this high school where we did church and I was pushing around this broom, cleaning up all this garbage that all these high schoolers left around. And I had this moment hit me and I was like, what am I doing? Like, God, what am I doing here pushing this broom, cleaning up this garbage? Like, what am I doing right now in this moment? It seemed so meaningless to me. Have you ever had one of those moments where where you're like, what's this life all about? I'll never forget that night because that for me was the start of this journey where God was teaching me that even in these meaningless mundane moments, when you're living your life with God, you could find meaning in them. And with that, like what we're talking about tonight as we continue our series, as we're taking apart our vision, our vision is, our mission is to be a young adult community that's joining God in his renewal of the world through the gospel. And we're wrapping up our series tonight, and we're talking about that end uh, little piece, that phrase there, the renewal of the world. Joining God in the renewal of the world through the gospel. What does that mean? And we want to unpack that tonight, but I'll never forget that night because God started to teach me what it means to live my life in a way where I'm joining him in what he's doing around him. And when you live your life like that, no moment is meaningless, as we're going to find out in a second. But if you're here and if you're uh, exploring Christianity, welcome tonight. I'm glad you're here. I hope that you feel like you belong to this community even before you believe. believe. Uh, maybe you have some questions. I hope you find some answers to them. My name's uh, Ben Hilson, and I'm the Young Adults Pastor here at Village. Um, and I really hope, as I said, as I prayed earlier tonight, that you just really have an experience with God, like a real experience with God tonight, even in the midst of your doubt. But my hope and my prayer is, uh, and we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians uh, 5.16, where we're going to find these answers, find these answers to meaning, find these answers to purpose. Uh, but my hope for you tonight is that when I say renewal of the world, I know not a lot of you get excited. I know that's not really an inspiring statement to a lot of us in the room. I know the first time I heard that, I didn't, I didn't get really pumped up. And that's because I, I don't think we realize the implications of that phrase. I don't think we realize what God's calling us into, his work, participation in what he's already doing. And part of me is really hoping that as a community tonight, we'd get a better understanding of that. 
that when you hear that phrase from now on after tonight, that you would actually get excited. And not only that, that we as a community, we'd understand what it means that we're renewing the world through the gospel. Because this message tonight really has the potential to, to infuse some passion into your life, to live your life with some intentionality of sorts if you really get it and grasp it, if you take a hold of what God has for you tonight. Because my hope is that for a lot of you in the room that you don't wake up one day and you're like 35 or 40 and you're like, wow, what did I just do with my life? I just wasted it. Meaning that you weren't actually living your life out in a way that God created you to live it. In a way that God wanted you to live it. Because the problem with a lot of young adults, a lot of us, can, we could slip into this thinking. We could slip into pursuing this, what they call this default middle class dream. One writer puts it like this. This is the dream, okay? Get a job, get a good job, become financially secure, have a nice family, buy what you want, enjoy a few of the finer things in life, avoid the troubles of the world, retire with ease. That's the dream. And at 22, I was stuck in that dream. And I've, I've had conversations with some of you this past week. Like, there's this one guy that told me that he wasn't coming out uh, tonight because he was going to work. And working is great. That's like, we're going to learn in a second how God redeems our work. And that's fine. But the reason that he told me why he was going to go to work instead of come here tonight was that because now that he has like a stable job, he has a salary, he's working towards saving to buy a house. And in that moment, I was like, okay, th that's your reason. Like, that's your reason that you work. There is something just so wrong with the goals that you have in your life because like, I'm just praying tonight that that isn't your greatest ambition. That isn't your greatest goal if you're sitting here. I pray that you just get this idea of what you can do, what you can create, these unimaginable things that God wants to do through a person who is fully surrendered to him. So with that, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21. Paul puts it like this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So I, I'm not sure if you've noticed, but I've kind of uh, noticed like this trend when it comes to movies and TV shows in general, where a lot of these TV shows and stuff, they, lo they love to deal about what's going to happen in the future. 
I can name a bunch of shows or movies for you, but I'll just say one, uh, Blade Runner, okay? The new Blade Runner movie, if you've seen it, if you haven't, it's all about the future, okay? And it's all about people asking and imagining what's going to happen in the future, like, or is AI going to take over uh, the world, or what's going to happen if we use all the resources up in the world? Is it just going to be like this deprecated, like, dystopian place where it's just, like, it looks horrible? Like, what's going to happen? And I think as human beings, that's kind of woven into our DNA where we, we care about what's going to happen in the future. Right now, some of you might be thinking, like, what's going to happen after I graduate from university? Like, what career am I going to get? Am I going to be married? When, when am I going to have kids? For some of you who that's a dream. I don't know. What's the career that I'm going to end in when I'm 30? But like it or not, even if you're a Christian or not in this room, you think about the future. I love how uh, Dallas Willard, one theologian, writes. He says, even those who say it popped into existence, he's talking about the world, those who believe that it just popped into existence out of nothing, do not think it will pop into nothing out of existence. Meaning that they still believe that when life goes on, no matter what happens, no matter what catastrophe or apocalypse, whatever will happen, life will kind of go on. Some people have this idea or believe that even if the earth like just, I don't know, disappears, dissipates, whatever, uh, we'll find another planet somewhere uh, to live, right? Some people believe that. But the thing is that a lot of people in the world believe that humanity will go on in some sense. But isn't it interesting, somewhere in Christianity, at least the Christianity that I grew up with, we had this idea that misinterpreting some scripture, misinterpreting some of the sayings of Jesus, and maybe you've heard this before, that we thought like when everything, what everything is leading up to is that the earth would be destroyed, right? But if you gave your life to Jesus, right? If you fully surrendered to him and followed him, you'll, you'd like escape to heaven. If you've been at Village Church long enough, you, you've probably heard Mark talk about the Left Behind series. You know, someone actually gifted those novels to me, uh, the teen edition, uh, and I actually saw it in my mom's, uh, my parents' garage the other week. But thank God, by his grace, I didn't read them. Uh, but that whole series is all about this idea of how we're going we're gonna to escape Earth. And here's the thing. When you think what you think and what you believe about the future— affects how you live in the present. What you think and believe about the future affects how you live in the here and the now. And I, I believe the first step to understanding what we're talking about, this idea, the renewal of the world, is getting a right understanding of the future. And Paul actually relays that down for us right here in verse 16 and 17, where he says, from now on, Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What Paul's talking about is a future that has interrupted the present. He's talking about a new reality. Paul is talking about a lot of things, but the main thing that leads us to believe that he's talking about this, this new world that has been born, this new future, is that when we pick up on the idea and we realize that he's using this phrase according to the flesh, one of his favorite phrases, but it's actually not describing physical flesh. What he's referring to when he talks about according to the flesh in verse 16 is this old world, this human world, this corruptible world that is actually passing away. 
He's actually talking about this new reality that has come in. And if you read the chapters following uh, this chapter that we just got into, you will get the whole scope of it. But what he's saying is that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, this new reality, this new future has just broken into our present world. Paul is saying to the Corinthians that he lives his life, him, Paul, in this new way of life, that no matter if you're a Christian or non-Christian, he doesn't see you the way that he usually sees you. He sees you in a new way. Not only that, he, when, he, when he views Jesus and he talks about Jesus, he sees him in a new light. If you know anything about Paul, uh, he wasn't a Christian before, uh, if you read in Acts and stuff like that. He's actually used to persecute people in the church. He used to kill them. He used to go from city to city and find the Christians and kill them. And he had this radical transformation when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he had this radical transformation that changed his view of who he is. And that's what he's talking about. And that's what he's encouraging the Corinthians about. And he's encouraging them to realize that the way to the kingdom is through death. And this death takes you out the other side into God's new world. And when you grasp this new reality, it changes the way that you see things and it changes the way that you live. Your idea of the future always affects the present way that you live. Remember, that's what I said. And this reality is that Jesus, in Jesus, heaven and earth have come together. They overlap. And through what he's done through his life, death, and resurrection, now they interlock. In that culture, when Paul introduced this idea, they would have right away thought of that, this Jewish temple. That's where heaven and earth came together. For them, that's where heaven and earth came together. But what Paul is saying, what Paul talks about throughout his letters is that in Jesus, when you surrender your life to Jesus, his spirit now comes and lives in you. And Paul actually calls us Christians the new temple. The new temple where heaven and earth interact, where heaven and earth interlock. So get that. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, wherever you go, you're bringing not only the presence of God, but you're bringing the kingdom. You're bringing heaven. When you interact with people, they're getting a glimpse of what heaven is like. This is this new world that we're born to, and that's, therefore, there's this new way to that living that goes about this. And this, that's true for any life stage, okay? When this new reality enters in, like some of you guys know, me and my wife, about two months ago, we introduced our fourth kid into our family. Her name's Lennon. And this new reality just changed the way that we live. The first couple of weeks were crazy. My wife was uh, going down to my parents' house to take naps because she wasn't sleeping. Not only was our newborn keeping us up, but our other kids were just waking up in the middle of the night. It was like this great, like sequence. Anyways, and not only that, I took time off of work and I was just focusing on just adapting and figuring out this new rhythm, this new way of living with four kids. Just take it about moving to a country. This is also true. A new reality uh, requires you to live in a new way, right? Uh, I went to Haiti last year. We're going back in a couple weeks. And when I got there, when I landed, there was just this different pace, this different rhythm. Uh, they, they, they called it Haitian time, the way that people kind of uh, moved and talked and planned and did things. And it was just totally different. That all to say that when new reality always requires a new way of living. And we need to learn what that looks like. We need to learn what it looks like to live in this new reality, this reality that has come to be in the present through the life of Jesus. And the easiest, easiest way to learn that is just to look at Jesus' life. 
Go through the Gospels and look how he lived because he is the model of what it means to truly be human, to truly live this life to the fullest. And as he models it out for us, we need to realize and look at the areas of life that we're, that, that we're not living like that. Because a lot of us, when it comes to salvation, we just think about it as a personal sense, meaning that, okay, I gave my life to Jesus, I surrendered, I prayed the prayer, and I'm good. I'm saved from hell, and that's it, that's all. I don't have to do anything. And our life actually doesn't change. The way we live actually doesn't change. Paul would argue, he says in verse 17 this, like, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul's assumption is that being in Christ, being a Christian, giving your life to Jesus, finding your life hidden in Christ is this radical transformation. It's this radical transformation in the way that you live, the way that you act, the way that you talk, the way that you think. You know, I grew up in a Christian family, and some of you know my story, and I thought I was a Christian for the longest time, but looking back, I don't think I actually became a Christian or actually started following Jesus or living off my parents' faith until I was about 22. And in that moment, I had this radical change. This radical change happened to me, and it kind of grew, and it changed different aspects of my life, and I didn't actually notice it right away, but my friends did. My friends from high school, they kind of noticed that like something was different about me. Not only the way I talked or the way I thought, but what I actually wanted to do. When I got into ministry, I remember going back to uh, my school to preach at a chapel. And one of the teachers that was like really close to me as I was going through high school was just like kind of amazed that I was a pastor because it was like the last vocation that he thought I would pick. Like, that's how drastically I changed. I was like, all of a sudden, um, some of you might know this, like, I became this voracious reader, and that was never a thing that I did. Actually, back in elementary school, they had this program called uh, the Accelerated Reading Program, and it really, it was for kids who didn't read well. And I was in that program for like two or three years. And so people that know me, when they, they were talking to me about me reading books and like talking about these different ideas that I read about, they were like, okay, there's just something that is totally different. All to explain, like, there was this radical change that happened in my life. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you need to ask yourself, is there evidence in my life of this radical change? Is there evidence that I can point to, that I can look to, that I, I know that my life is now hidden in Christ? See, when Paul talks about this new creation in verse 17, the old has passed away, the new has come. He's referring to, yes, personal salvation, personal transformation, but it also includes the world which we enter into. The world which later on he's describing as being reconciled to the creator. Meaning we need to understand, yes, we are saved in a moment, but we're not saved from the world. We're saved for the world. We're not saved from the world. We're saved for the world. We're saved from sin, but we're saved in a way that we're transformed to go back into the world and bring heaven and the kingdom wherever we go. We aren't waiting for one day to escape to heaven. Some of us need to correct that way of thinking. And when it comes to heaven, 
One thing that I wanted to say and put out there is I'm not talking about a place far away in the sky somewhere. A better way to understand heaven, a biblical way to understand heaven, heaven is God's dimension to reality, okay? While earth is man's dimension to reality. It's a dimension that exists at the same time. It's not far away. With Jesus, it actually heaven's come to us. An easy way to kind of think about this, and it's not super exact, uh, but yeah, I'm going to go there tonight. Uh, Stranger Things, okay? Anybody watch Stranger Things? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going there. Like, real talk, though, real talk. How many of you after this are going to go back home and binge watch Stranger Things Season 2 on Netflix? Wait, 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 wait. Don't put up your hand if you want to walk out of this place with a date, though. But, okay, how many of you? Yeah? couple? Okay. Anyways, I don't know how many episodes, but Stranger Things, okay? The Upside Down. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go home and watch it, okay? Like, this dimension exists at the same time. Yes, I'm making this analogy. And it interlocks at the lab, okay? Anyways, enough nerding out. But that's what's happening, okay? When heaven and earth interlock, that's what we're talking about. There's two dimensions that exist at the same time. Why else do you think when, when Jesus asks us to pray, he says, let your, he asks, tells us to pray, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would he ask us to pray that if we were just going to escape this world and go off to heaven while watching it explode in the background in our rearview mirror? No, he's coming back to make all things new. And that's not going to happen until Jesus comes back again. But think about this. It means that there might be a new Los Angeles in this new world. It might mean that there might be a new New York in this new world. N.T. Wright, I love how he puts it when he's talking about thinking about the end and what's going to happen. He says, every movie ends with a frame. And Revelation 21 shows the final frame of our story. He writes, heaven in the Bible is not a future destiny, but the other hidden dimension of our ordinary life, God's dimension. If you... Like God made heaven and earth, and at the last he will remake both and join them together forever. And when we come to the picture of the actual end in Revelation 21, 22, we find not ransomed souls making their way to a disembodied heaven, but rather the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth, uniting the two in a lasting embrace. See, to be saved means much more than a personal salvation. And in order for this phrase, the renewal of the world, to really inspire you, you need to get that. You need to understand what you have been saved for, to do on this earth, no matter what you're doing. Paul puts it like this in 1821. He says, all this is from God. It's from God. Get that. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, now counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Here he's talking about the apostles, the people that are going and spreading and building new churches, but at the same time, it affects everybody that calls themselves a follower of Jesus. And he goes on, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Reconciled people live reconciled lives. They don't sit there with their personal salvation doing nothing, not changing the way they live, not changing the way that they act towards other people. And the beauty of the gospel is that God reconciled us to himself. 
You need to get that. You need to understand that when Paul starts, it's from God. He reconciled us to himself. He restored the relationship. When we go back and we study in Genesis, like when the fall happened, when sin entered the world, the relationship between us, humanity, and God was broken. And something needed to happen to mend it. Death actually needed to happen. Because of the mistakes that we made, because of the the sin that we did, death needed to happen in order to mend that relationship. But what makes Christianity so different than any other religion is that God didn't ask us to find a way to him. He came to us. He comes and finds us in whatever state that we're in. He makes a way so that we can be reconciled to him. You got to get that. God takes it up upon himself. He didn't have to do that, but he takes it upon himself to make a way for us to come back into relationship with him. That should blow your mind. He didn't need to do that. That is grace in a nutshell. But he does that by sending his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life on our behalf, to take on our sin that we chose to do, to die a brutal death on the cross, to come back to life, to introduce this new reality to us, to allow us the chance to be reconciled to God. And you need to understand this about the gospel. That reconciliation has already happened. It doesn't matter if you accept it. It doesn't matter if you believe it. That reconciliation has already happened. The only question is, is if you will stop living in ignorance and actually give your life to him in order to experience that new reality in your own life. It's there. It's always going to be there. That dimension exists. But the question is, is if you're going to turn to God in a way that opens your eyes to the reality all around you. See, the gospel, the good news is from God. It's his his initiative to reconcile the world to himself. The gospel is not our chance to get right with God, but God's declaration that he has already made us right with him. See, only after this reconciliation happens and at a personal level, then can we go out and find reconciliation within our community, bring about reconciliation in our city, bring reconciliation uh, to our nation. But it starts at a personal level. It starts at a personal level when it comes to that decision. But then once that happens, you, as Paul says, become an ambassador You become ambassador of this new reality. You become this ambassador of that Jesus is reigning and ruling in heaven, which has now come and clashed and butted heads with earth. And they both exist together. Not fully one day, yeah, when he comes back, we'll see the full reality. But that's the reality that we're living in, that you're an ambassador of him. And everywhere you go and everything that you do, be it work, school, You're representing him. You're imaging him to the world. You're giving the people around you a glimpse of who Jesus is, his love, his character. That is his calling. That is the ministry of reconciliation. That is what it means to be an ambassador. And when you get this, this changes the way that you work. No matter what your job is, no matter what you're doing, 
No matter if you have one of those meaningless moments, it changes the way. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. Your work is not in vain. When you are at work or school now, what you're doing, you're influencing people. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you're influencing people. And you need to understand this word influence uh, in, in the Latin word, it means to flow. So don't think about it in a way where you're going and you're like, okay, I'm going to influence people and you're just coercing them to change or to believe what you believe. No, it's this more natural way where you kind of flow into a situation, you flow into an environment and you change the things around you um, kind of more naturally. I don't know a better way to say it, but yeah. And when he, when he talks about influencers, when, he, when we talk about people that influence, they're people that put themselves, they live and work in the midst of ordinary people. Ordinary people that are looking for wisdom, that are looking for discernment, that are looking for truth, that are looking for power. And they present themselves in a way where they're present in the situation that they can offer this new reality, this, this idea, this truth that can transform these people's lives. And God set it up like this. As Paul said, he set it up that he reconciled the world, but he makes his appeal to the world through us. That's huge. He could have saved the whole world, but somehow he took us, however broken we are, like Paul in this story, who's persecuting and killing Christians, was far away from God. He took people like Paul, like me and you, broken people, and he comes to us and says, hey, now I want you to go forth because I reconciled you to myself and call people into relationship with me. That's the calling that every one of us have. That's the vocation in some sense that we bring into whatever line of work that we're in. We go about living our life in that way where we're bringing about renewal, we're bringing about reconciliation, and that hope that we're living with is that the risen Jesus has launched this new creation in the middle of this present old one, which means lasting change is possible. Lasting change, be it personal, social, cultural, global, whatever it may be, lasting change is possible, and that's the hope that we live with. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about joining God and his renewal of the world through the gospel. And tonight, if you live like this, if you hold on to this hope, none of these mundane moments in this life will be meaningless. None of the things that you do, the projects that you find yourself in will be meaningless. When you wake up in the morning and have this idea that, okay, I'm going to work, I'm going to school, I'm going wherever, I'm going to the bus today, and there's this chance that God could be appealing through me to someone within my vicinity where I'm present and calling them back into relationship with him. Where in a moment, heaven interacts with earth and the spirit of God works through you in a powerful way to transform another person's life. That is the potential that lies inside every one of us and the experience that we can all have if we simply are just present. I don't want you guys to go out of this place and be like, okay, I'm going to change the world because we are actually not change makers in and of ourselves. You got to get that. When he says it's from God, that means that God has already done it. God is changing the world and God is going to change the world, but he does it through you. 
There's no way that you could coerce or come about this power within your own self to change anything around you. It's God. It's his spirit. It's his power. It's the gospel being unleashed in your life as you give testimony to what God has done for you, how God has transformed you. And with this, if you get this, it will totally change the way that you live in the present. Knowing what future you have coming. And my prayer for you is that you realize that your life actually doesn't begin until you pass into eternity. Your life actually doesn't begin until you pass into eternity. That's what we're looking forward to. So I want to end with a quote and a story. Just to paint this picture of what it could look like to live in this way, to live with this hope, to live in participation with God, going about around the world, renewing the world, wherever you're at, wherever you find yourself. And to write from a book called Surprise by Hope, he talks about working this way. You're not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to roll over a cliff. You're not restoring a great painting that's sh shortly going to be thrown on the fire. You're not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up for a building site. You, you are accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new world. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one fellow human being, and for, the ma and for that matter, one fellow's non-human creatures, and of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world. All of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. This is the logic of the mission of God, God's recreation of this wonderful world, which began with the resurrection of Jesus and continues mysteriously as God's people live in the risen Christ and in the power of his spirit. This means that what we do in Christ and by the spirit in the present is not wasted. Get this, it will last all the way into God's new world. In fact, it will be enhanced there. Anything that you're doing now any work that you put your hands to will be carried on into this new world. You're not wasting your time with this mindset. You're not wasting your time when you're participating with God in the renewal of the world around you. So what does that look like in real life? Well, a couple of my friends, they decided one time to tell us as we're hanging out that they were gonna pack up their kids, their family, be self-supported missionaries, and move down to Mexico. And I was asking myself the question of, why would you do that? And as I, as I was thinking about this sermon, as I was reading some stuff, as they were going, I, I realized why. Because they realized this call on their life. They realized that they wanted to go down to this new culture and bring about renewal through the gospel, bring about the renewal through the transformation that they experienced in their life. So they went down there, and they're down there right now until uh, December, self-supported missionaries just teaching ESL classes and doing things like that. 
Another story of what this looks like in real life, uh, a pastor in New York tells this story, and, and I love it, and I just want to read it to you guys, because I want you guys to start thinking outside of the box. I want you to get imaginative with what God can do through you to bring about renewal in this world. So the pastor tells a story about this girl named Sarah Fraser Miller, okay? And she embodies this type of mindset. She lived in New York. Uh, she was studying theater at NYU. And as a sophomore, uh, she read Isaiah 58, he says, and felt convicted about how she was living her life. She was going to church and worshiping in what she thought were the right ways, but she was not spending herself on behalf of the needy and the oppressed. So she started spending her free time eating with the homeless people around NYU before returning to her uh, Fifth Avenue apartment, he says. She and a friend started reading the Gospel of Matthew, and they began to ask themselves what would happen if they took the words of Jesus seriously and did, didn't dilute them. So they decided, get this, they decided the answer to that question was them to move to the South Bronx. This is what you need to understand about the South Bronx. It's the poorest neighborhood in the United States. The South Bronx has the highest rate of poverty in the country. More than half the kids that live there live below the poverty line. Two-thirds of adults are unemployed, and 60% don't have a high school diploma. Only 4% have graduated from college, and the biggest obstacle to them initially was that everyone from the police to their Christian community said they were crazy to move into that neighborhood. But listen to this. This is, in her own words, her telling her experience of when they made this decision. She said, I thought to myself, who's fearing for these kids? As long as they're forced to walk home on these streets, I will too. As we began to focus on being present in the neighborhood, we realized that the people that we were supposed to be afraid of greeted us by name and gave us huge hugs as we walked by. Before long, kids were hanging at our house until midnight and asking for food. We realized that, the one, uh, that no one was taking care of them. Most of them lived with their one guardian who was either strung out on drugs or worked three jobs. So we started giving them after-school snacks, helping them with their homework, feeding them dinner, and putting them to bed in their homes every night. All of this was happening while I had a full-time job that not only I loved, but I found myself with a, a huge amount of power, influence, and wealth within the company. I was working 80 hours a week, so I had less and less time to read Bible stories to the kids or be there for my neighbors when she was diagnosed with AIDS. So I had to make a choice, she says. After wrestling for months, I decided to quit my job and raise support so I could give all my energy to being a part of God's renewal in my neighborhood. I didn't know where the money was going to come from, but I had faith because I knew what I was in the center of God's kingdom becoming a reality on earth. The poorest neighborhood in America is in the most powerful city on earth. As a people of God, we're called to steward our privilege on behalf of the poor in our city. What an honor, she says, that God uses our small acts of obedience to bring his kingdom in forgotten neighborhoods. Bringing gospel renewal, as you just heard, is, is simply being present. Don't complicate things. And simply being present and uh, functioning in a way where you're attentive to what God is doing, where his spirit is leading. And as I open myself up to this, as I get off of my agenda, as I talked about in prayer, as I open myself up to, okay, God, what are you doing and where can I join you? 
I found myself in like these really unique conversations about God and spirituality in the skate park. I was like sitting at uh, this place having breakfast the other night uh, on, in the weekend, uh, early in the morning. And when you live with five people in your house, like you escape <laughs> as early as possible just to get some quiet before you go back into that chaos. And that's what I was doing. And this woman just started talking to me. Because this is the thing, when you live your life in this way, when you go about joining God in the renewal of the world, people notice that there's something different about you. And some of you, people don't realize that about you because you haven't actually made the choice to disengage before you engage. What do I mean by that? I mean that there's certain things in your life that you haven't changed when it comes to the way that you live, that you still do. Like your old life, you're trying to carry it into your new life. But what you need to realize when Paul talks about that the old has passed away, that everything that you've done before you met Jesus is gone. That old life, those old mistakes. I like to put it like this. When, when you come into a relationship with God, he gives you a new life. It's not a reworked life. It's not a, a renovated life. It's not a, a, a makeover. It's a new life. And when you come into a relationship with God, there's no regrets. As a Christian, you don't have to live with regrets of past mistakes because God, he's, rede he's a redeemer. He not only redeems you and your life, he redeems time, he le redeems your mistakes, he redeems your past. And the amazing thing about God, and I, what I found true in my own life is he'll take those mistakes, he'll rework them, and he'll use them if you open yourself up to it, to reconcile people who are going through a similar th thing to himself. So my question for you tonight, what is the evidence in your life that you're living your life in a way that there's this, this radical change that Paul talks about, that you find your life hidden in Christ? Some of you need to look at your life, take a hard look and, and ask yourself, have I actually given my life to Jesus? What, am I, what part of my old life am I still holding on to that I'm still trying to drag behind me? For others of you in, in the room, tonight God is putting on your heart a place, a community, a neighborhood, a place, a work, a school, whatever, that where he's simply asking you to just Open your ears and your eyes to be more attentive to his spirit, to be present. Because he wants to do something through you. He wants to make appeal to the people around you to reconcile them to himself. The question is, is are you going to be obedient? Are you going to be obedient to that calling? And lastly, for the rest of you in the room tonight, as I close, like Paul, he writes these words, I implore you, I implore you to be reconciled to God. I implore you to be reconciled to God. My heart for you is that you would respond to this gospel. This good news of what Jesus did, this new reality. So that you can experience it for yourself. Because once you do that, it'll totally change the way that you live your life. It's the only way to live this life with meaning and purpose. So why don't you guys stand with me?
and we're going to worship, and we're going to respond through communion, through prayer. God, I pray and ask that in this moment that you would just move in this place. You know exactly, individually, how you want us to respond to what was said, to the words that you were speaking into our hearts and our minds. God, some of us in the room tonight just have a whole bunch of knowledge that we need to do something with. And we're waiting on the bench till we feel more confident about jumping into this plan, into what you're doing, and to engage people all around us that have questions, that don't believe. But God, you're calling us to respond right now. You're calling us to do something tomorrow. So I pray, God, that you would just birth inside of us just this passion this attentiveness to follow you wherever you would call us. For some of us, that might be taking a step, packing up our things and moving across the world to bring renewal in a part of the world that doesn't know you, that doesn't, has never heard the gospel. For some of us, that might mean just walking into our family, the place that we call home, and just being more vocal about our faith by living our life in a way that causes people to stop and wonder what's different about us. So God, I pray that you would just work in this place tonight, that your spirit would just, through the power of the gospel, work on our hearts, transform us, make us look more like Jesus. And God, I pray for some of us in this room that we would truly find our meaning, our purpose, our calling tonight. That we'd walk away without any doubts, without any fear, but that just this God confidence that wherever we're at, we believe we're at the center of bringing your kingdom to earth. Pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen.